0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Titus again, this time to chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. heard a story uh, some months ago of a little boy who came back from Sunday school and misquoted Acts 16.31, Paul's uh, words to the Philippian jailer, except he quoted them, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt behave and uh i thought that's not bad that that's not what paul said to the uh philippian jailer but that is what paul said to titus that's the uh, that's the theme of this book as you know titus was left behind on the island of crete to uh, plant churches to continue the work that paul began there to appoint leadership to build up churches and it was a tough task because uh crete was a uh, was an island, much like our uh, islands of, uh, of Hawaii. There was a kind of a beach mentality, if you know what I mean. Surf was always up, and it was easy to be laid back and uh, flaky and self-indulgent. And this was the environment that, uh, that Titus was called to minister in, and it was tough. Paul says the first thing to do is to find and appoint good men in the positions of leadership elders he calls them overseers who uh, are good husbands good fathers have good character have a good grasp of the word and can exemplify it and teach it and use it to encourage others and uh, refute those that are in opposition to the to the gospel because he says there are a lot of bad men around and it takes uh, it takes good people to offset the example of bad people and then in chapter 2, he says, You, in contrast to those above wh- whom he describes as unfit for anything good, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now, he's not here saying you need to teach more doctrine. He assumes that they've had a great deal of teaching to understand the, uh, the theology of the apostles. He's saying rather to teach the things that are consistent with good doctrine. In other words, teach a, a behavior that's consistent with belief. Your behavior has to tally with what you believe. Mamie Okum says, goodness is better than badness because it's nicer. But uh, Paul says, no, goodness is better than badness because it's consistent with the gospel that uh, that we proclaim. Then he spells out, in terms of four age groups, what that behavior means. You can tell by reading on that he's not talking about mere doctrine or more doctrine, but he's talking about behavior. And uh, he says, there are four classes, four age groups that you need to teach, and these are the things you need to teach them. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Now, if I were to ask you to sort yourself uh, within that spectrum, some of you would know where to go. If I'd say, all the older men go over here, I and a whole bunch of older guys would hobble over there and sit down. (laughs) And uh, it's all you older women sit over there, and I think most of you older women would know where you fit. Younger men, younger women. So, you know, it's easy to sort yourself uh, at some time in your life. But there's a vast middle ground where it would probably be difficult for the rest of you to sort yourself out. Uh, age, you'll you notice he's, he doesn't use the absolute degree. He uses the comparative degree, older, younger. And... Uh, So it's hard to know exactly where you fit. But I think if you pay attention to the directives, it helps you to place yourself in one of these groups. Now he starts with the older men. Uh, Teach the older men, he says, to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Teach the older men, he says, to be, uh, to be temperate, that is, restrained in their use of alcohol. That's the, uh, that's the meaning of the term. The uh, New Testament and the Old Testament both teach moderation in the use of alcohol. The older I get, the more sense that makes. We live in a, in a society where alcoholism is a major, a major social problem. Uh, driving under the influence of alcohol... Um, has resulted in, a, in an alarming increase in traffic fatalities. Uh, teenage alcohol abuse is on the upswing. There's every reason in the world for us to be very restrained in our use of alcohol, to uh, drink very little, if, if at all. I saw a uh, bumper sticker on the back of a jacked-up 4-by the other day in a parking lot over here at 7-Eleven, and it said, When the going gets tough, the tough drink beer. And my first thought was to laugh, but the more I thought about it, the, uh, the more unfunny that, that, that bumper sticker became because I envisioned in my mind this young man going to a kegger and then racing down some mountain road and losing control of his vehicle and, and then his parents having to go to the hospital to identify the remains. And it just didn't strike me as very funny. The other thing that it struck me is that as a philosophy of life, that's we uh, won't get it. When the the going gets tough, the tough drink beer. Because that's just escape. That's all it is. It's just running from life. Uh, King Lemuel's mother said an interesting thing in Proverbs 31. She said, said, listen up, Lem. I have something to tell you. She said, it's not for kings to uh, drink beer. Because they'll overlook the plight of the oppressed. That's interesting. Uh, uh, Drinking not only dulls our sensitivity to our pain, but it dulls us to the pain of others. We just escape into it. And Jesus said, on the other hand, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sensitive to the hurt and the pain of, of others. And I don't want to be legalistic about this, but as I say, as I get older, I just this makes a lot of sense. Older men are to be temperate, that is restrained in their use of, of alcohol. Uh, the second trait characteristic is worthy of respect venerable is the idea dignified the new american standard bible translates serious is the is the meaning of the word sober-minded not somber not uptight that's not what he's talking about but rather someone who's serious about life who takes life seriously and that ought to happen to you as you get older You begin to think more seriously about life. Life doesn't consist of an abundance of things and possessions, stuff you put in your garage or accomplishments that you put in your pocket. But you begin to think more seriously about what life is all about, what it means, not what it provides. And you start thinking about getting to know God better and and making use of your time to pass on to others what God means to you. You start storing up treasure in heaven instead of storing up a bunch of junk down here that... It's going to rot and decay and blow away. You know, you, you're serious about life. That's the point. Not not a sober side. Not a killjoy. That's not it. But you take life seriously. I think that's a trait of a mature, uh, older man. Uh, some men, when they get older, get uh, afraid and they try to recapture their youth. That's when they uh, go get a perm and. Uh, <laughs> Start unbuttoning their shirts down to here and wearing golden, gold medallions and take up with some uh, younger woman. It's a form of craziness that seems to set in. Uh, the 40 year itch, some people call it. There's no physiological basis for it. It's just, I think, fear of death. They realize, men realize that they're coming to the end of their life and they're no longer as young as they were and they're trying to recapture uh, their youth. I always think of Nicodemus' question to Jesus, can a man be born again when he's old? It's an attempt to try to start over again, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And all you're doing is trivializing and trashing your life, really. Uh, The thing to do is act your age. That's what Paul is saying. Act your age. You're an older man, act like it. Stop trying to act like a kid and uh, get serious about life. Start uh, living life the way God intended you to live it. So older men are to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control. Ooh. The word means rule by your mind instead of your emotions. Do you ever hear anybody teach you that men are naturally rational and women are naturally emotional? That is a bunch of male poppycock. <laughs> you can tell that, that males are mostly interpreters of, of the Bible because they're the ones that come up with this nonsense. You you want to cause a woman to hate God, then just teach her that the Bible teaches that men are rational and women are emotional. The Bible doesn't put people in psychological boxes. It doesn't tell us what women are like psychologically and men are like. I can't think of a single verse that does that. And sometimes we try to make it a little less innocuous by saying women are just naturally sensitive and men are more objective. But the Bible doesn't teach that either. What the Bible teaches is that emotionality is not a mark of feminine, it's not a feminine trait, it's a trait of immaturity. And that men, as well as women, need to be ruled by their minds, minds that are taught by the Word. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, set your mind on the Word of God. Let the Word of God rule your thoughts and your minds, and then you'll be a rational person. If you don't do that, I don't care whether you're male or female, young or old. You'll just grow up to be a silly, emotional person. Not objective, not thought out. Uh, Be self-controlled, he says. Get control of your mind. And sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Sound goes with triad. Faithfulness, love, and endurance. Actually, sound means healthy. That's the, that's the meaning of the word. Uh, as you get older, you get less healthy. No question about that. A, a friend of mine who plays racquetball at the courthouse was talking to another fellow the other day. I overheard him in the, in the locker room, and he said, I think I'm about a step slower than I was when I was 25. He's about 50 now. And I thought, my goodness, I'm about you know one giant step for mankind slower than I was at age 25. <laughs> Uh, that's just, that just happens to you. The, the, the outward man begins to perish and decline and you get less and less healthy as you get older. But who cares? I mean, what difference does it make? Because the, the inner man, he says, is being renewed day by day. You're getting healthier in the attributes that really count. He says, you're becoming more and more a man of faith. Confidence is what he's talking about, dependence. You haven't lost that go-for-broke mentality that that characterized you as a a young man of faith. Uh, Men, as they get older, do tend to become more conservative, and there's some wisdom in that. But we don't need to become uh, stuffy and and uptight and always pouring cold water on other people's ideas and just, as I call them, beginners, those people that are just against anything that anybody else is for. We, you know, you don't have to become that kind of person as you grow older. You can become more and more optimistic and confident, uh, more hopeful, more expectant that God is is going to do something. Like Caleb. I I agree with Hardin. That's my favorite character in the Old Testament. Tough old guy. His name means dog. I, I just wonder what kind of parent would saddle a child with a name like that. Kalav in in Hebrew is the word for dog. He wasn't even a Jew. He was an Arab. He was a Kenizzite. But he came to love the Lord with all of his heart. And he was one of the spies sent into the land. And at 40 years of age, he was Joshua's sidekick. You know, they went into the land. They came back and gave the report. We can do it, they said. By God's strength, we can do it. And the other fellows said, we can't. And they're the ones that died in the wilderness. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two that survived that generation. And they went into the land. At 85, when most of us are, would have retired In our A-frame down on the Mediterranean, he he says to to Joshua, give me the high country. I want to go up there where the giants are. Come on, giants, put up your dukes. We're going to do battle. And uh, he took Hebron, the best, the highest and the best. And that ought to characterize older men. They ought to be tough, rugged old men of faith who have confidence in what, what God can do. Healthy in faith and healthy in love. There's nothing about getting older that ought to make you mean and angry and irascible and hard to get along with. Why is it that, that men, as they get older, get cranky? Well, that's just the tendency of their life all along. It's not old age that does that to them. You can get sweeter as you get older, more tractable, easier to live with, more mellow, kinder. I think of my father. He's 91. He just gets sweeter every day because he's he's walked with the Lord for 80-some-odd years. and. And that's what can happen to you. He says, You can be healthy in faith and in love and in endurance. The word endurance means uh fortitude, toughness. You get tougher as you get older. The outer man begins to uh get weak and but but the inner man gets stronger and tougher. There's an old cottonwood tree down the down the street from our house. Caroline and I walk by it frequently and and I thought when I Saw that tree uh, this last week. That's a good illustration of what it means to be old and tough. You know, the roots just go down dozens of feet into the ground, and the thing is about this big around, and it's all gnarled and beat up, and it's not much to look at, but it's tough. And no wind that comes along is going to blow it over. And that's that's what he's talking about. As you get older, you gain endurance, become more firm in what you believe. You're stronger. And the inner man, the outer man gets weaker, but the inner man gets stronger. These these are these are the qualities that ought to characterize us as uh, as older men. Uh, as Paul puts it, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. About ten years ago, uh, my son. Randy, uh, tried to put me in the bushes. We had a, we had a a very small front yard. This was in California. We had a dichondra front yard and we had these sticky bushes all around it. And we used to wrestle around the front yard much to, uh, much to the consternation of the neighbors because our dichondra was always chewed up. And, uh, there came a day when Randy made his final challenge. Uh, he was a senior in high school and a football player, and uh, he thought he was real tough. And so he was going to put his old man into the bushes. So uh, uh, the whole family came out, Carolyn, and and, uh, <clears throat> and watch this final great, uh, great battle, and a lot was at stake here. And uh, I just have to tell you, I, I put him in the bushes. But when he came out of the bushes, he had that look in his eye. And I could read his mind. I knew what he was saying. This is the last time this is going to happen. And, you know, ever since then, I have messed with him. He's a, he's a police officer now here in Boise, and he's about this big. And I call him sir, and I'm very respectful. I don't mess with him. He's gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. He still lifts weights, and every day he gets stronger. I've gotten weaker and weaker and weaker. <laughs> but you know, I don't even care. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't mind getting old. I don't fear death. Uh, it just doesn't matter to me any any longer that I'm. Get- I like being old. I'd hate to go back and start over again. I have to learn all those lessons over again. Uh, I don't have to perm my hair. <laughs> and uh, because you know, what, what Paul tells me is that I can keep on growing. We grow to ceilings in every every area, but there are no ceilings to love and endurance and faithfulness and temperance and self-control and, and dignity. That's what it means to be a mature Old man. You know, you can be a silly old man. You can trivialize your life. You can spend your life sitting in the park playing pinochle or waste, you know, the rest of your life on yourself, self-indulgently. Or, or you can decide at, at this point in your life, I'm going to become a man. I'm going to grow up to full maturity in Christ. And then your life begins to be worthwhile. Uh, now, uh, verse 3. We've been talking about older men. Now, I going to talk about older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. The older women are to be reverent. It's, it's an interesting word. It means uh, to be like a priestess. In other words, they're devoted to spiritual things. They aren't preoccupied any longer with externals, with material things. They aren't materialists. They're not worried about looking like Jane Fonda at age 40, you know. Or They don't buy all this stuff that you get in the magazines about what really makes for womanhood. They've learned that what really matters is knowing God and loving him and sharing the truth that they have about God with, with others. They're reverent. They're, their hearts are devoted to Christ. Uh that's a mark, you see, of, of maturity in a woman. When she moves past the inclination to lavish all of her time and effort and money on herself and her outward beauty, and she begins to think in terms of, of developing the the inner person and then passing that on to, uh, to others. She's uh, not to be a slanderer. In other words, she doesn't talk about others. Uh, you get a bunch of men together, and they talk about their exploits mostly. I mean, they, they'll gossip too. This is not just a feminine sin. It's also a masculine sin. Men, men can gossip. But more often than not, men will talk about their their, uh, their achievements. They'll brag. As the, I heard a story once about a a man who who said to his wife, all women, he says, are nothing but a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. And she said to him, yeah, and men are nothing but a brag and a groan and a tank of air. <clears throat> and that's our tendency to just be full of hot air when we get together. But uh, women, I think because they're so relational, have a tendency to talk about one another, talk about other women, and to slander others and to be catty. And, and, and Paul says, don't, don't do that. You have a problem with someone, you go to them. That's what that's what Jesus said to do. You don't talk about them. Malicious slander is so hurtful. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, Paul says. Always building up the other person, preserving their life rather than tearing it tearing it down. Be reverent, positively and negatively. Not not a slanderer, not a malicious gossip are addicted to much wine it seems to me that all of us uh, men and women if if we're not if we're not finding our satisfaction in god we'll find it in some drug or alcohol or, or something else and he says don't don't give yourself to talking about others and don't give yourself to an addiction to to wine not addicted to much wine but but give yourself to teaching what is good now, we have to understand what he's talking about here. Unfortunately, the church over the years has relegated women to making cookies and taking care of children and things like that. And if they teach it all, it's teaching uh, homemaking skills, teaching people how to bake and sew and do those sorts of things. But Paul says what they're to do is to teach good. In other words, they're to teach doctrine. They're to teach people about God and what it means to be like, like God. Uh, in, in, the, in the world in which this book was written, women normally weren't educated. Only the upper class Greek women were educated. Other women were somewhat sequestered and they weren't considered to, you know, they, they didn't think they were intelligent enough to be, to be taught. And our Lord and the apostles completely overthrew that convention. Our Lord said things to women that he didn't say to men. He took them very seriously. He taught them things he didn't even teach the apostles. Uh, it was to Mary Magdalene. Uh, that the Lord revealed himself, remember, after the resurrection, before the other apostles. Uh, the Lord manifested himself as Messiah to the woman at the well before he even did that for his disciples. So he realized that women could, were, could be sophisticated in their thinking. They could understand theological concepts and they could teach theological concepts to others. He didn't just relegate them to making cookies in the back room or running church bazaars or whatever. He, he took them very seriously. So he's saying that that older women are to be serious about their relationship to God, pursuing Him with all of their heart, learning about Him, and imparting that truth to others. So that, he says, notice how how it's worded, teach them what is good in order that they can train, uh, sober up is the word, sober up the young women to love their husbands and children and so forth. It's interesting that this, this command is given to the older women, the older women, or to teach the younger women. Interesting. Now, you know, some of you older women who've, who've raised your children and they're in college or they're in high school now and you have a lot of lot of free time. I mean, you know, how, many, how, how long does it take to do the housekeeping chores when there aren't kids around? It's fairly simple. And once you've done it, you've done it. What do you do after that? Well, a lot of women get bored. And they think they have to find their satisfaction in getting a job. And so they go out into the world and get a job so that they can... Fulfill themselves. Let me tell you a secret. Men have been trying to do that for hundreds of years, and and. They-